Amen. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And tonight we're going to consider our destination, if you will. And that is, if we are a believer, our destination is to be with the Lord forever. And, you know, there's a phrase that Paul will use here in verse 9, and it is that God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath, and that is the sure hope that we in Christ have, and I hope that tonight it just encourages your heart. But you know, there is a reality that is also true, and that is if you are apart from Jesus, if you have not yielded your life to him, you have not turned from your sins, you have not received forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ, Scripture says that you are a child of wrath. Paul says, In Ephesians chapter 2, as he's pinning that, we all once were, as believers, children of wrath, destined for the wrath of God. But thanks be to God, through Jesus we have deliverance from that wrath. Let's begin there in verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, We should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. If you're familiar with the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul spent a short amount of time there in Thessalonica during one of his missionary journeys. A really short time, only a few weeks, and then he was kicked out of town. And Paul sent, uh, I believe it was Timothy, back to Thessalonica, and he, he brought this letter, and Timothy ministered there. And there was a question that was in the hearts of the people there, because there was this teaching that was going around that somehow uh, the people who had died, who were believers, that they had missed their deliverance. But one of the things that Paul was writing was to really assure them that those who have fallen asleep in Christ or a believer who had physically died was in fact in the presence of God. They hadn't missed their deliverance. They weren't entering into the day of the Lord. And in chapter 5, he's, he's addressing this idea of the day of the Lord and that it is coming, but it's not coming upon them. It's not going to come upon them. The first thing that we note about the day of the Lord is that it will come suddenly. Uh, in, in the first few verses, he says, Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So, 
Because of Paul's ministry during his very short time in Thessalonica, the believers, they'd been taught a lot. He covered a lot in in that period of time that he was with them, even such that they covered the day of the Lord, such that he didn't really need to remind them, but he felt it necessary to bring this to their attention again. In chapter 4, Paul outlines the resurrection of believers who have fallen asleep who will be alive at the time Jesus comes back for the church, and he details the rapture, those who would be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. And he's taught these believers to be ready for the coming of the Lord. They've been prepared well to be looking for the return of Jesus and to recognize the times leading up to the day of the Lord. Now, in the early church, there was a great expectation that Jesus would be returning soon. They expected him to come back like now. You hear it through the heart of the letters and the writers of the New Testament, and over and over again, there was this exhortation to be looking for Jesus to come back. Now, there are general markers as Paul says, the times and seasons, that as the day the Lord draws near, kind of point to, hey, this is coming closer. And the Thessalonians were well aware of the winds of culture of their time. Very similar to ours, right? People looking after their own interests, living without regard to God, pursuing sinful desires and rejecting the Lord himself. Likewise, In our own world, we see evil and sin abounding, don't we? Seems like with every passing day, there's just more and more open and and passionate disregard for God and disdain for the truth, not just a a rejection of it, but just a, a willful suppression of that truth, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. We also see physical evidences of the fall, One that comes to mind, of course, the pandemic, but wars and rumors of wars, geological events. And, you know, I don't know that necessarily, you know, we can point to one and say, well, this sure is the one that that, uh, is leading up to the day of the Lord coming. They're really just a sign in, in the birth pangs, as it talks about in Scripture, of the world lost, living apart from Christ. And it points to the soon return of Jesus. Now, We know that the time is nearer than when we first believed. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back as a conquering king. We as believers, we look forward to the return of Jesus for the church in the rapture. And this is what Paul talked about in chapter 4. We look forward to him coming and taking us up into the air and receiving his church there in the air and delivering us from the wrath that is to come. Scripture is very clear about how the world will look in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I always find it interesting that that one's in there. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, 
headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. It's very clear how the world will be conducting itself as it marches toward the tribulation years and toward the return of Jesus. In verse 2, Paul speaks of the phrase, the day of the Lord. He says, you, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, specifically, the day of the Lord is a familiar Old Testament term. It concerns the timeline of events surrounding Jesus' second coming. So that would include the rapture, which happens before the tribulation. I'll speak on that in just a moment. The tribulation itself. The actual physical return of Jesus on this earth, which we know as the second return, or the second coming, and that would lead into the millennium. And the day of the Lord, specifically in the Old Testament, refers a lot to the coming judgment of God. And so when we hear the day of the Lord, that is certainly in focus. Jesus indeed said that the day of the Lord would come quickly and unexpectedly. We get this idea of the imminent return of Jesus. And for the church, for us with the rapture, that's great news. That means that at any moment we could be caught up into the air with the Lord and be with him. Be delivered from sin. Be delivered from the presence of sin. And wow, enter glory. What an amazing thought. And and that could happen at any time. There's, there's a song, right? It, it might be today, right? It could be today. And that's the truth. At any moment, we could be caught up in the air with the Lord, or we could, this, this body could fail, and we could go and be in the presence of the Lord. Paul really couldn't decide whether he wanted to live or go be with the Lord. It was both Jesus to him, right? To live is Christ. To live means more ministry, but to die, it means to be in the presence of God. So for us, this is a joyful thing for us, hearing that Jesus could come back at any time. But for the unbeliever, it's a troubling thing. Because that means the church, the restrainer, as Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians, is going to be lifted from the earth, the tribulation will be underway, and chaos will ensue on the earth from man's perspective. So imminence could happen at any time. That means no prophetic event must happen in order for the rapture of the church to take place. Continuing on in verse 3. Many in the world will not be ready for the coming of the Lord's day. For the world, it's a time of judgment. Paul says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. You, you get the idea of the imminence, but also of the surety of these things taking place. That as the world heaves and moves toward this day of the Lord, and, and when that time is appointed where the Lord comes back for us, those things are set in motion. There's no escape from that. And the illustration that he gives, of course, is of a pregnant woman who has labor pains. And uh, you know, we have two children, Liza and I have two children, and when those labor pains start, uh, there's no return, that child is coming. This is the idea that Paul is communicating, is that once those things are in motion, it will come to pass. And the thing is, is that the world is going to be caught off guard. When the church is raptured, the remainder of the population is thrust into the tribulation years, 
Oh, wow, the world will be caught up in a false sense of peace, in a false sense of security when they're plunged into that. You know, the world at that time and the world now is really unprepared for the coming judgment as one would be unprepared for a thief to come and steal, as Paul says, Uh, Later on there in verse 3, or verse 4, he says, You, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For the world, it will take them completely by surprise. But it's no wonder that it would take them by surprise, because they're not looking for the Lord. They're not looking for Him. They're not pursuing Him. They are filling their minds and their lives. They're living without regard to truth, without regard to the Lord, doing what's right in their own eyes. They're going to be completely focused on the material and the temporal, completely neglecting the spiritual. Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. (laughs) You know, They were living without regard to the Lord, and that judgment took them by surprise. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the way Jesus describes the earth being when judgment comes. And we look at the world, and it's not far from there. I mean, people are living just without regard to morality, living without regard to the the precepts and the commandments of God. People who uh, claim to, to be ministers and leaders in the Lord's church are supporting things that are immoral and encouraging people to do these things. And you just see the stage is set for Jesus to come back. Now, a lot of people spurn the idea of coming judgment. In fact, they scoff even at the idea of the Lord, let alone the day of the Lord. Men living proud, wicked lives, living in darkness, dismissing the thought of any judgment that would come. And we've been told that this would take place. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And he goes on to say that this isn't just an ignorance. This isn't just, you know, uh, a lack of knowledge, but this is something that they willfully forget That by the word of God, he goes on to say, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. They willfully forget the judgment that has previously come upon the earth. Because judgment isn't, it doesn't fit their narrative. Judgment isn't something that they are looking forward to. It's something that they want to get out of their mind, something that they want to willfully forget so that they can live in freedom, as their mind calls it, and without regard to, you know, anything the Lord wants them to do. But I love it because even in that same passage where these people who, the world, who 
they have no inkling of an ounce of desire for the things of the Lord, the Lord still has his eye on them. He still wants them to come to salvation. And until that day where, where we are raptured and, and the tribulation is thrust, and even people who are going through the tribulation, yes, there will be salvation. There's going to be a delusion that comes. So, but the Lord, he has his eye upon these people. He says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, but the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his heart, and we'll get to that in a moment. But you see, the idea is the world will have a false sense of security and peace. There's no peace in the world apart from Christ. None. We, we see it. The, the world is convulsing because they're grappling for peace, and yet there's no steady source of peace. They, they might hear a, a, a news line, a headline from the news, or they might receive a, a good doctor's report, but apart from Jesus, there is no steady security, no steady source of peace. See, the world that entertains sin and is enraptured with self wonders why they don't have peace. Yet this is what they crave. And the simple truth is that peace, this peace that people need, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the peace of Jesus Christ. It's the peace that comes from a life that has been redeemed through Jesus. It's not found in causes. It's not found in rallies. Peace isn't found in good circumstances even. Peace isn't found in pleasure. Peace is only found in Jesus, and the only way in which you can have the peace of God is to be at peace with God, and that is through faith in Jesus. So the world will strive after peace, and will have a false sense of it when the tribulation is upon them. Oh, and the world will be as it never has been before under the heavy hand of God's wrath. I want to ask you a question. Are you characterized as the one to whom Paul is writing? Not those of the world, but are you ready for that day? Have you placed your trust in Jesus if you're an unbeliever? See, if you haven't received that forgiveness, you're headed for that judgment of the Lord and the day of the Lord. And his wrath could be poured out. The tribulation could be poured out at any time. Or you could breathe your last and inner eternity, forever separated from the Lord. That is the ultimate judgment. It's simple. Receive Jesus. Believe in what he's done for you. Receive his forgiveness. Turn from your sins and ask the Lord to cleanse you. And believer, we look expectantly for the return of Jesus to deliver us from this world that is failing, and to come for the church. And this is why we are to be earnest and zealous in our sharing of the gospel. What the world needs is the conviction of the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. We, we can't convince anyone. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, but we should be faithful to take every opportunity the Lord gives us and brings across our path. <laughs> 
to share the love of Jesus, to share what Jesus has done in our hearts and in our lives, how he has transformed us, giving that testimony like Paul does in Ephesians chapter 2. I once was a child of wrath, but I've been made alive together with Christ in the heavenlies. It's God's grace that saved me, and now he's changed me and I'm living for him. We should be those sharing the gospel Praying for the Lord to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. We should be faithful seed planters and waterers, taking opportunity to share the gospel and to pray for the salvation of those around us. And I just encourage you as you're doing, and maybe this is an area of your life where you're like, yeah, you know, I've missed some divine appointments in my life. I've missed some opportunities. Well, listen. Listen to the promptings of the Spirit to share and rely on Jesus to guide you in this. And, and when those moments come, step out in faith. The Lord is going to give you the word. He's given you his Spirit. You have all that you need in order to be a faithful, effective witness for Jesus. And that is his Holy Spirit in the word. Know that the Lord will give you the words to say and that he'll work through you. And remember Jesus said that we would be rejected. Jesus said that not everyone would receive. And yet, we are called to be faithful. Paul continues here in 1 Thessalonians in in verse 4 on down through verse uh, 8. He says, You brethren are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, For we as believers, the day of the Lord, it's not going to overtake us as a thief. Now, Paul says to the Thessalonians, essentially, you're not going to be taken by surprise because you are in the light of Jesus. And this is true principally because we are sons of light, sons of day. We've been transformed. We've been brought into his marvelous light. And no longer are we of the realm of darkness. We've been redeemed. Yet, those who have not yet trusted in the Lord, they are still in darkness, and they aren't looking for the day of the Lord. That's not something that's on their mind. See, our eyes have been opened by God. We no longer stumble along in the blindness of our sin, of unbelief, but God has opened our eyes to see his truth as children of light. The call to action for children of light, the sons of day, is to be continually looking for the appearing of Christ for his bride. Whenever I encounter a passage like this that calls us to focus upon our our destiny as believers and that we're going to be with the Lord forever, being heavenly minded, right? I always think of the phrase, you know, someone might say, well, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And I get what they're saying in a sense, but I always kind of think like, if you're heavenly minded, you're probably going to be the most earthly good because you realize what your destiny is and you realize also the plight of people who don't have that same hope. And so 
the exhortation that Paul gives is to, to watch and to be sober, to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Not in the sense that, you know, because as believers, we've been saved, our, our salvation is secure in the Lord. But to watch, and, and, and as a part of that watching, that's not an, an idleness, sitting and letting the years go by and the days go by, just uh, living life and doing what we want to do. No, doing what God has called us to do, living a righteous life, a holy life that we've been called to. See, Paul says we're not in darkness, so the coming of Jesus shouldn't come as a thief in the night for us because we should be living in such a way that we are longing to see Jesus at any moment, meaning our conduct should be reflective of our redemption. Now, it's impossible for us to know the exact day or time when we're going to be caught up in the Lord, uh, in the air with the Lord. It's coming at an hour that we don't expect, though uh, some have figured it out. Uh, some numerologists and others have uh, put their heads together and have pinpointed uh, when Jesus will return. I, <laughs> this picture makes me laugh because it's an asteroid heading toward Earth, which the rapture has nothing to do with that. Um, and why a numerologist anyway? Uh, April, this is from a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, a lot of people have said, well, this is a day and cosmic events show that this is going to be the day and pinpointing. Listen, we don't know. We don't know when it's going to happen. That's just striving uh, after the wind. We don't know when, when this is going to happen, but we know that it is going to happen. We know that Jesus will come back. And I think this is so instructive for us because we don't know when Jesus is going to return for us. You know, when I was growing and my brother and I, um, you know, I, I was a great child growing up, but it was my brother that was the, the real troublemaker. Anyhow, we would uh, play games in the house and we were instructed not to. Um, but our parents worked a, a little ways away from the house and often... Uh, the, the house would just be torn to pieces. Um, please don't ask me about the heirloom antique lamp that was broken because we were roughhousing. That was, that was a day that was a day of reckoning between me and my parents. But uh, oftentimes we would be found doing what we shouldn't be doing when my parents come home. We, we would hear the garage door open and we'd like panic, you know, and, and scramble to get the house together. And, you know, if we would have just been doing what we should have been doing, there wouldn't have been that moment of uh, unsureness, right? We, we would have been ready for the return of my parents. And I, I think, similarly, we should be ready as believers doing what God has called us to do. He's gone. He's told us he's coming back. We don't know when he's coming back. But we should be doing what he's left us here to do, and that is to live a life that's pleasing to him, and that includes uh, sharing the gospel and uh, serving him wherever he calls us. We need to be ready for when he comes. Our houses need to be in order, spiritually speaking. We must be living faithfully as believers to the Lord. Carrying out the work that he's called us to do. You know what's interesting is that there's no room for idleness. In the body of Christ, as believers, there's no room for, for apathy. Now, there's times and seasons where the Lord will call us to a work, and he'll call us from a work for a period of rest. Uh, but there's never an allowance given to a believer to just 
take a year off <laughs> or to just sit on the sidelines. So are you idle or are you active in your walk with Jesus? My encouragement to you is to redeem the time. You don't know how many days you have. We don't know how many days it's going to be until Jesus returns. It could be today. It could be two days. It could be 20 years. We don't know. And what's more is that we don't know when we're going to go be with the Lord. We might pass and go be in his presence. So redeem the time. Jesus expects his church to be active. He's expecting an active church active in his kingdom work and not burying the talents that he's given us to use. Uh, verse 7, Paul continues with this idea, this, this picture of uh, day and night, you know, talking about those who sleep, carries the idea of idleness, um, those who get drunk, get drunk at night, carrying the idea of you know, living without regard to righteousness and those things that are done at night as well continues on to say let us though let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation so he's drawing on this illustration of day and night and as children of the day we should be those who are prepared and dressed for battle the the pattern of our life should be lived after the commands of God and his instruction and he says we should put on the breastplate of faith and love. And he's, he's pulling on this idea of a soldier being ready for battle. This isn't quite the list that we find in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. But this was an illustration that Paul really liked to use because it gives us the idea of readying yourself for the day. Readying yourself for the work of ministry, readying yourself for that hope of salvation, readying yourself for the spiritual battle. We are to be living as those ready, as those of the day, those who are looking forward to the return of Jesus and not being enticed by the things of the world. I wouldn't want to be beside a soldier who was unprepared for battle. We should be those prepared for battle and serving the Lord, ready for that day. This idea of being sober, uh, in the original, of course, it's translated as it is, sober. But it carries the idea of being self-controlled uh, and to watch. Right? Being self-controlled. Paul is saying we should keep watch over our lives, not living for our own gains or pleasures, but for Jesus. And I think this is so instructive for us, especially in the culture in which we live. Because day in and day out, we are fed the, the narrative that we should be on the lookout for what's best for us. We should be doing what seems good to us. We should be doing what is pleasing to us. And yet, the truth of Scripture says, deny yourself. The truth of Scripture says, Put off those old works of darkness. Don't even set your minds on the things of the earth, but set your minds on the things above. Commit your way of life to the Lord and what he wants you to do. It's all about the Lord and other people. It's not about us. And so Paul says, 
Be self-controlled. Be watchful over your life, not living for yourself, but live for Jesus. What does that look like? Well, setting a pattern of life, making those decisions through the power of the Spirit to, to honor God with the decisions you make. As I mentioned before, sharing the gospel, being a faithful witness, serving in the church, using the gifts that God has given you to benefit and edify the brothers and sisters that are around you. One commentator says, the sober person lives deeply. His pleasures are not primarily those of the senses, like the pleasures of the drunkard, for instance, but those of the soul. He is by no means a stoic. On the contrary, with a full measure of joyful anticipation, he looks forward to the return of the Lord, but he does not run away from his task. We have a task that we have been given. The Lord is expecting us to carry it out, and Man, we should be living for Jesus and what he's called us to be living for. See, we should allow the hope of our future with Christ, that sure hope in Jesus, to purify our lives of the dross and the things that fill it up. You know, some would say that the imminent return of Jesus makes believers lazy, just waiting around to be taken from this world that's so dreadful. But you know, I really sense the opposite. Because if we recognize that Jesus is coming back at any time and there's a world full of souls that are to be redeemed yet, the Lord having his eye on them, then we should be about our Father's business. Jesus is coming back. They're, they need to be saved. The people of the world need to be saved. And we have the hope of the gospel to take to them. And there's a church that needs edifying. So we should be about what Jesus wants us to be about. See, the hope of heaven has a purifying effect in our life. And the charge in Scripture over and over again is to lay aside those things that would keep us from running the race that is before us. We're familiar with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He, you know, we have this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And the encouragement there is lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, there's a lot of things that can occupy our time and our mind. And I think we understand that the sinful things, those, those need to go, but... I think what's sometimes hard for us to discern is what are those things that, that aren't necessarily sinful um, in and of themselves, but are serving as a weight to us in our lives. You know, they could be time wasters, or uh, they could be, you know, things that we've involved ourselves with that, that are giving us no spiritual benefit, or... Uh, you name it, maybe something's coming to your mind now. Those things that are weighty, that are weighing us down and preventing us from running the race with endurance that is set before us. The charge is to, to cast those things aside, to lay them down so that we are freed up and we are freed from that weight so that we can run that race that is set before us. And taking up that which is needful. I love Psalm 119 verses 37 and 38, it says, 
Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Revive me in your way and establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. And I think that is such a good prayer for us to pray. You know, like, Lord, if there's something that's in my life that shouldn't be here, just turn my eyes away from it. Would you turn my eyes? Bring my eyes and refocus me back to the things that matter. That phrase, worthless things. Revive me in your way. And if you find that you need reviving in the way of the Lord, then ask him to do that work in your life. Ask him to turn your eyes away from those things and revive within your own heart a desire to serve him and to honor him with your life. Now to the part that I really get excited about. Verse 9 and verse 10. We, as believers, we are not destined for wrath. The world is heading toward the judgment of God, as we've learned. Unbelievers headed toward the judgment of God. Believers headed toward the redemption that is in Jesus. And this is the core of our salvation, the work of Jesus. In that work, Jesus took upon the wrath of God for our sin, giving us his righteousness. In that work of Jesus, God appointed us to salvation and not to his wrath. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. You know, from the time of Adam, uh, as Paul talks about in Romans, Adam and, and the sin there in, there in the garden, it plunged man into sin, which had, had spread to all, down through the line, all the way back to Adam. All of the world... Uh, tainted by sin. And Paul reiterates this great truth concerning the end times and reminding people looking toward their coming salvation that at one point we were under the heavy hand of the Lord, but in Jesus, God has not appointed us to wrath. We as believers, followers of Jesus, are not subject to to the wrath of God, which we so deserve. The wrath of God that's coming in the tribulation, but even more so that separation that will be for all of eternity in hell. Because God's wrath has been poured out on Jesus for our sake. You know, when Jesus said, or, or when Paul says, who died for us, this is more than, like, this isn't, he's not communicating that Jesus just did us a favor. This is the idea that, that Jesus was our substitute. He went into our place. He took the wrath that was appointed for us, took it upon himself, and gave us his righteousness. And because of this work, we are not appointed to wrath. God has appointed us to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love what J. Vernon McGee says, God has not appointed us to the day of wrath, the great tribulation. It's a time of judgment and the church is not going through it because Christ bore our judgment. And Paul speaks on the basis of this salvation. It's not by our works. It's not something that we could have earned. 
It is through the grace of Jesus, because Christ has died for us, that we have the forgiveness of sins. And in Christ's death, the wrath of God was satisfied, so that whoever is in Jesus will not experience the wrath that we deserve. Paul talks about this in depth in Romans chapter 5. And I'll read to you just a portion of this. I have a couple of references there for you. I'm just going to read the second one. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So then, the believer is not destined, we in Christ are not destined to experience the wrath of God. Christ has satisfied God's wrath upon the cross for us. He died in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, perhaps one of my favorite passages on this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this is the idea of propitiation. This is a, a term which means exactly what we've been discussing. Jesus died in our place, and his sacrifice satisfied the requirement of God. That's what propitiation means. He took the full wrath of God upon himself in his body, in our place. And those who are in him will not experience that wrath. We deserved, because he took it upon himself. But there is wrath to come. The wrath of God remains against sin and unrighteousness in a world that will gather in an attempt to defeat him. Read the book of Revelation for more detail on that. The people of the earth, even in their stubbornness, will recognize and admit, even in the tribulation, that what they are experiencing is the wrath of God. Now, on this point, I mentioned earlier, the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation. And this is what is called the pre-tribulation rapture. We believe that the, the rapture will take place before the tribulation comes. And in summary, this is because the wrath of God that is poured out in, it is poured out in the tribulation. It's not just a time of hardship. It's not just a time of bad things going on on the earth. Uh, in fact, the people who are under the tribulation... In Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, they recognize the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? So the church, it's not destined for the, the wrath of God. We will be raptured to be with him if we haven't already gone to be with the Lord. Um, and so the judgment of God will come upon this earth in the tribulation. The day of the Lord, as Paul says here. But praise the Lord, we're not destined for his wrath. And we will be delivered from that to come. I love the song that we sing. And, uh, you know, we sing it from time to time here. It's that, uh, that song, In Christ Alone. And there's that phrase that says, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. We have a life in Jesus. And we've been delivered from the wrath that was due us. Verse 9, it's a key verse. It shows that the bride of Christ, the church, 
won't endure the wrath of the Lamb. And in summary, just on this note of the rapture, to place the rapture anywhere but before the tribulation, and, and listen, there's good brothers and sisters who believe that it comes in the middle of the tribulation or at the end just before the, the second return of Jesus. There's good brothers and believers who, uh, brothers and sisters who believe that. Um, but to place the rapture anywhere but before the tribulation means that you are diminishing the severity and the nature of the tribulation. And, and scripture is clear that, that that is the wrath of God. It's not just a troublesome time. So it makes it something other than the wrath of God if you place the, the rapture in the middle of the tribulation or toward the end or toward the partial rapture. And the reference that I shared with you from Revelation chapter 6 actually happens during the sealed judgments, which according to most timelines of their tribulation happens in the first half. So even those who would say the partial rapture or the mid-trib rapture, that's something that uh, you should consider as well. And um, it's pretty clear from scripture that the tribulation is God's wrath being poured out on the earth. Now, some might see this as a pass to believing on Jesus now before the tribulation comes. I've heard the question before, well, can I be saved even if I go into the tribulation? And yeah, you can be. There will be people who come to faith in the tribulation, but scripture is very clear that there's gonna be a strong delusion that comes upon the people of the earth and that there, there won't be uh, that, that clarity widespread for people to come to salvation and so yeah it is possible for you to enter the tribulation and to be saved but also consider a great multitude on the earth they're going to perish in massive cosmic judgments under the heavy wrath of God and many of them shaking their fist at God as they're going down as evidence of that strong delusion that comes and moreover as I've referenced already in this study you're not guaranteed another breath I wouldn't hedge your bets on the tribulation. Jesus could come back at any time. You don't know when your, your last minute is here on the earth. So, repent of your sins and confess Jesus today. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. And believer, rejoice in the truth that you are not destined for the wrath of God. God has lavished his mercy and his grace upon us through Jesus. And... I love the last verse there, verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. You know, you think of our, our dear brother, Gary. You know, you think about the families that you know who have endured hardship. Think of the circumstances maybe that even you're enduring today. <laughs> They're hard. But what is sure is the redemption that we have in Jesus. That one day, we're going to be taken from this place and we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. He's going to come and eventually set up his millennial kingdom. Eventually, the new earth will come and we are going to live in paradise forever. And I want to encourage you. Take opportunity to encourage one another with this truth. Paul says this at the end of Chapter 4 as well, for those who have lost loved ones, who have gone to be with the Lord, 
saying, it's, it's not a goodbye forever, it's an, until later. <laughs> I'll see you later. And this is the hope that we have. Eternity with Jesus. And so if someone's going through a difficult situation, comfort them with the hope of salvation. Comfort them with the hope of, of the salvation that we have in Jesus and that we are delivered from the wrath of God. If somebody's experienced a loss in the family, comfort them with the sure hope of eternity. If an individual is concerned with the things of the world, remind them of our purpose in the Lord's soon return. There's no time to be wasting. Revelation 22:20. 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. I'll leave you with this verse. The worship team can come forward. John, as he was writing to believers in 1 John, I love this, this letter, it's been dear to me. Um, he writes to assure them of salvation. And one of the things that he addresses is this very idea that one day we're going to be with Jesus. And he, he writes to encourage them, but also to call them to have nothing to do with the world, because that is our hope. And in chapter 2, verse 28, and chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus, he's coming back at any time. Are you ready? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you received salvation in him? Then I encourage you, if you haven't, believe. Trust in what Jesus has done for you. Jesus went to the cross and took your shame and your sin so that you could live forever with him, so that you could receive his righteousness and therefore enter eternity with him. He's taken the wrath of God upon himself so you don't have to experience it. Believe on him and receive that forgiveness. And believer, are you going forth proclaiming the gospel wherever you go? Are you about your father's business? Are you living as if Jesus could come back the next second? Be watchful and be sober. Spend your time wisely. Don't be idle, but be active. Invest in the kingdom of God. And don't allow the current state of the world to paralyze you with fear. Or make you indifferent to the work of Jesus. Redeem the time. And edify one another in our sure hope of salvation. Rest and rejoice in the provision of Jesus. He died for you and me. And in him we are forgiven. He is the propitiation for our sins. So encourage each other in the faith as you also are doing.